Welcome to another edition of the Injury Prevention Academy brought to you by Dorn Companies. For over 20 years, Dorn has been the nation's leading wellness-based pain management and injury prevention company. Through our customized ergonomic education, training, and tech solutions, Dorn has helped nearly 120,000 employees over that time. With an annual ROI of nearly 600%, we have saved employers over $100 million in workers' comp and healthcare costs. I'll be your host, Cheryl Roy, and we will be diving into the various facets of all things safety in the working environment. Hi, everyone. My name is Cheryl Roy, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today for another episode of the Injury Prevention Academy. Joining us today is Kevin Lombardo. He is the president and CEO of my company, Dorn Companies. A little bit about Kevin. He is widely recognized as a leader with substantial experience in the workplace of safety and injury prevention. He's worked as a CEO and senior executive for many large organizations, along with significant experience in the healthcare space. He's got a unique perspective that illuminates the critical intersections between talent, assets, and ideas. The dynamic formula that drives business performance and helps make Doran Companies what it is today. Welcome, Kevin. How are you? I'm great, Cheryl. How are you today? I am doing great. Thank you. Welcome, awesome. welcome to my very first podcast. So we're very. It's excited. an honor to be your first guest. <laughs> well, we're going to be going down the realm of ergonomics. So it's a hot topic okay. right now. And there was a review by the Washington State Department of Labor and Industries showing that implementing um, ergonomic solutions can enhance uh, employee productivity about 25%. In your opinion, what are some of the common mistakes that companies make when it comes to assessments and programming and ergonomics in general? Oh, that's a great question because a lot of people will ask, geez, how do you do an assessment or what's the benefits? And we'll talk about the benefits, but really there are a lot of common mistakes. And I think the first one that I think about is do people have common ground? Do they understand what they're doing? You know, we, we get a lot of requests for ergonomic assessments and I spend a lot of time asking people, well, what are you trying to accomplish? What is your data show you? What do you understand as potential issues before you just go down the path of doing an assessment? So that's number one. Understand really not so much what you're actually trying to find because you don't know if you're going to find it until you find it, right, in some cases, but really understanding what's driving that. Two, I think it's really the engagement level. Having employees engaged in the process, if it's just an ergonomist out there with a stopwatch and the clipboard, or if you're using wearable technology, here, put this on, you're not going to get much out of it because people will not really be engaged. In fact, they may change their behaviors while they're being watched. So sure. if you get the employees, in fact, we did a, an echoskeleton project um, for a client back last year. But before we did the echoskeleton, we did a workstation assessment and we just didn't watch it. We did. We did the observation stuff. But then we started getting the employees input. They run the machines. They know why their bodies were moving differently or were because they were they were doing the workarounds that everybody does when the equipment isn't perfect to how they need to do their job. So understanding that allowed us to make the right recommendation of how to go about it. So getting employees involved. And then I think really lastly, and I'm just looking at something here real quick, there's a great, um, there's a great article from worknest.com. It's a blog about 12 common risk assessments mistakes. I think people should go out there, review it, look at it, stuff like that. And then also the training levels. 
the person doing the assessment, not only what's their, their training, but what's their filter? What is their viewpoint? How do they um, evaluate? What do they, how do they see what you do as an organization to, to make sure that they're looking at it from a right framework? Is it because you already have a number of injuries? Is it because we're trying to, and a lot of ergonomic assessments started this way back in the day, how do we get more productivity out of the, uh, the workstations that we have? So understanding really, again, that goal and what's the framework of the person, employee engagement, that will help make them truly. And then going back and, and engaging the employees after the fact to give them the feedback. Because again, a lot of times people do workarounds because the equipment was built 20, 30, 40 years ago, but they figured out how to work around and wasn't built ergonomically correct. So you may not be reinvesting another $5 million in new equipment. I was gonna say it's an expensive might. fix to change yeah. the machine, yeah. It, it is. It is. And that's what I tell people when they say, you know, can you do ergonomics? I said, look, we can do that equipment stuff. We, we we're associated with, you know, professional ergonomists that can do that stuff. But we look at the people and the behaviors and how do we change those simple fixes. So what are you really trying to accomplish? And I think the more engagement you have, the better it's going to be. Okay. So with these kinds of assessments, they obviously sound like they're crucial to any safety program. Um, do you find that on a larger scale, are a lot of companies including these kinds of assessments to help keep their safety program more up to, up, up to date on things? You know, it's interesting. The short answer is yes. Um, what's interesting is last year we saw a huge uptick in the demand for just pure assessments. You know, as you know, we meet people at conferences and we start talking about all our great level of services and, you know, okay, we should come on board and do X, Y, and Z. We had a lot of people kind of come back and say, you know what? And these are large companies, multi-sites, multinational say, yeah, we think we need it, but we don't have a true ergonomic program yet. So we've seen a lot of assessments on identifying best practices between two facilities. We've seen assessment work on identify the high level risk, help us design a five-year ergonomic journey. You know, what does that journey look like? So a lot of people have really started, and, and who knows, maybe it's because everybody was talking about a recession at the end of last year and they didn't want to put all their money in a program. But more realistically, what I heard was, we know we like what you do, but we don't know if we need you. And we don't know if we need you until we have that ergonomic journey laid out. And so okay. that's that's the piece that I think a lot of people and, and we tell people it starts with an assessment. Okay. If you don't know that you have this issue that we could address with whatever we do, start with the assessment that that just lays out the plan. So I'd say there's been a huge uptick in that. Sure. So establishing Dorn's value to a company needing someone. Um, are there like basic overlooked benefits of ergonomic programs that companies sure. tend to miss? Yeah, I think it um, it does. You know, there's a lot of discussion today about fatigue in the workplace uh, that, you know, I went to a, a conference on fatigue 2019 before COVID. There were, let's say there were 100 people there. 60 to 70% were academics. Another 30% were companies like us and consultants. Only 10% mm -hmm. were companies. So fatigue, even though when you look at worker comp data, 
it tells you overexertion, slip, trips, and falls, stuff like that, hit by object. But it wasn't what it doesn't tell you is what was the root cause? Was it fatigue in the workplace? Was it because of the repetitive motion? Was it, you know, if you think about today, there's 10 and a half million job openings and there's about three and a half million people looking for work. There's a disconnect. So sure. thus the people working are working harder, longer, more physically demanding. So when you talk about the benefits of it, it's identifying how can you change things to address fatigue, overexertion, the repetitive motion. You're, you're really addressing that physical health. And now more and more, and we can talk about it if you want, you're starting to address things like stress, sleep patterns, mental health issues. So there's a whole slew of um, benefits that I don't think safety people have really thought about before and that I think they could start thinking about. Some of them are hard to quantify, right? Sure. How do you quantify mental health issues related to ergonomic risk? Very hard to do, but it, more and more those type of things are where the benefits come. And lastly, the employee engagement part. You know, as you know, because you 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 do some work for some of our clients, okay. the people once they start getting engaged in the process and we're educating them, we've just empowered them. You've opened up and you've empowered that person to be their optimal at work and outside of work. You've empowered them to be, if they're involved in the assessment, you've empowered them to actually become part of the solution and not, hey, some corporate guy with a clipboard came down and said, we should be doing X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Huge amount of benefits that just change the dynamic of how people perceive their organization, how people perceive their work, their value to that work, and so forth. I'll give you a prime example. I used to be in the printing business years ago, and we were trying to change you know, the, the culture of the business. And one of the things that we talked about with the press operators were one of the things we did, this is before electronic records for medical, so I'm dating myself. Electronic records were, were paper, you know, four-part sure. paper. So we would talk to folks about, hey, this is the job that's coming up. This is going to a hospital. The reality of it is we don't need errors. And one of the reasons we don't want errors is because that person filling out that form, that doctor, nurse, or whoever, if there's a mistake in that, that could be catastrophic. So helping people understand the impact of what they do on the totality of the company's customer, the end user, whatever it is, really helps people think about things differently. They really do. And, and once they feel that they're part of a solution, even if they're a press operator or doing working on some machine, I think they think differently about their work. Okay. So with that said, I would think you would agree with me that in most companies across the nation, your generational workforce tends to be multifaceted. You've got your, I like to call mm -hmm. them legends of the workforce who have been there 20, 30 years. You've got yep. your newcomers who are a little bit younger coming in. Yeah. Um, when it comes to addressing ergonomics and how we can help people in the workforce, do you see that there's any kind of uh, strategy in implementing things differently to make sure that it's received well, whether it's a new hire or someone who's been long-term? Sure. I'm going to address it first from the ergonomic perspective sure. and then the implementation side. From the ergonomic perspective, that's a whole other reason to do an ergonomic assessment. And when I say ergonomic assessment, let's be clear, in some cases, it's a whole workstation analysis. Are we going to, you know, we, we send 
some of our people down to a company in Texas where they've looked at the shipping department to help automate it. Well, again, what was the root underneath it? Well, they had a tenured workforce. The physical nature of the job was creating stress on the bodies and injuries as people were getting older and they couldn't do the same physical demands. So the automation, you know, back in the day, automation used to be a bad word because it was, oh, job replacement. It's not about job replacement anymore. Now it's about making it easier for people mm-hmm. and helping them do their job better. It actually does make them more productive. It does maybe make your volume higher and your costs lower. All those benefits that were initially part of ergonomic assessments. Now it's about how do you address those, you know, those various, like you said, those various um, generations. Sometimes you got three to four generations working together. The other part then is the implementation of the solution. How do people receive information? You know, I was just on a call before this that we were talking about education and training of the workforce. And the the thing was, you don't change your message. Your message is the same, whether whatever your safety messaging is. But how do you reach people? Millennials want to look on their phones or their PDAs. Right. Some people want headlines. All they want is the headline. Millennial or uh, baby boomers, they can deal with PowerPoint, you know, so you, you, you have different ways of reaching people. So the implementation because of, becomes a little bit more challenging because you have to reach a multitude of people that are in different age groups and, or different generations. And really, at the end of the day, they all have to receive that same message in some fashion. So from that perspective, you got to think differently around uh, how you do that. Sure. Oh, I'll make sense. Uh, you had mentioned mental health in our previous question. Uh, in the past, I'd venture that a lot of people thought of safety in EHS. It was specifically more physical safety than anything else. Since the pandemic has happened and lockdowns all across the world, it's kind of changed how people work these days. So how has that evolved over the last few years to include more mental health education, communication support, that kind of a thing? Is that more within your safety branch where it's not just physical anymore, but it has a few more oh, avenues absolutely. to it? No, absolutely. I think the challenge um, I think was there before before uh, COVID. It just it definitely exasperated it and elevated it and made it more broadly. I mean, there's always been violence in the workplace. Sure. As far as people can remember, there's people who have had mental health challenges throughout, you know, all of all of mankind. Right? Um, we didn't really address it, uh, probably to the best that we could. I think COVID really opened that up. Sure. I'm gonna share something if I could. Yeah. Let me know if you uh, can see my screen here in a second. Can you see my screen? Yes, sir. Great. I'm just gonna share a couple slides on that. So this is a slide from a talk that we've done where it talks about the psychological reactions to injuries. And this is post-injury. But what happened during COVID where, think about it, 40 million people lost their jobs, whether it was for a day or whether it was forever and everywhere in between. 40 million people. Some people haven't recovered. The stress of being home and, and, and having your child in the next room who was home, you know, going to school online, helping them to make sure that they can stay focused in an eight-hour day or six-hour day for school, staring at a screen that isn't playing a game, you know, that puts stress on people. 
the, the disconnect between your colleagues, you're no longer in an office where you're able to the do isolation. that. Isolation. Yeah. yeah, isolation. Or if you're in a plant, the fact now there's plexiglass between you and your colleague that people started thinking about it. In fact, we actually saw in the beginning injury rates go down. Part of that was there, there's a couple of reasons, I think, for that. One was I think people were afraid to say I was injured because if you went to a doctor right in the beginning of COVID when nobody knew anything about it, am I going to go get sick? Am I going to go die? Mm-hmm. Two, is John working next to me? Does he have something that he's going to give me now that I'm now going to bring it home to my family? Right. All those things. So that created a huge, huge impact on the mental state of people. So this physical reaction to injuries, I would tell you is now the the psychological, I'm sorry, the psychological reaction to injuries is now the psychological aspect that a lot of people are still living it. There's food insecurity. Think about the world we live in. Food insecurity, financial insecurity. There's a war going on. There's, you know, social unrest. There's political unrest. There's a lot that people carry. And I think the reality of it is they have to, organizations have to look at this and say, how does the outside world now impact how our people operate? And some of the things that I think people need to think about, you know, people with depression, untreated have twice the annual healthcare costs of non-depressed patients. And the, uh, you know, the mo- the medical conditions, the cost of mo- uh, mobilities and things of that nature, it's just exasperated. It's huge. So I think that has to be taken into account. We're not looking for safety people to become experts in diagnostic and become PhDs, Oh yeah, but they have to be aware. If they see some tension going on with somebody where somebody's a little bit more irritable today, or maybe a lot more irritable today. They don't know what's going on. They don't know if they're going through some domestic issue. They don't know if they're going through some financial issue. They don't know if their brother was lost in some battle overseas. You got to, I think sometimes help people become aware and help them identify how to make maybe even a small intervention that says, Hey, John, why don't you just go take a 15 minute break? That cool down period doesn't cost the company anything. It really doesn't. And it just changes the dynamic. So the mental health issues are significant at this point in time. Do you feel that employers to help fight this battle are uh, empowering their employees to recognize and be a little proactive where it is, hey, Jim, I see you're having kind of a day. I'll cover you for 15 minutes. Or are they trying to make it more acceptable where you give people some autonomy and how they handle their surroundings so that they feel more comfortable with each other. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And there's a lot going on. A lot of organizations. Uh, we actually did a survey a couple of years ago about this and what companies had certain services. The larger the company, the, obviously the more services are available to people and not just, you know, th- through their employee assistant program, sure. or they have even an elevated level of services when you get into the small and mid-sized companies, financially, it's harder to have all those resources, but there's apps out there now that people can lay, le- leverage and go into. So I'd say the short answer is yes, more and more organizations recognize this fact and they're trying to do a couple of things. One, educating of supervisors and managers on awareness. That's a piece that's very right. important. But two, giving tools to people you know, you hear me say all the time when we talk to potential clients, empowerment through education and engagement, not empowerment through ergonomics or empowerment through hands-on therapy. It's empowerment through education and engagement. And the more you can 
educate and engage with employees, give them some tools like I'm showing here that they can, they're empowered. They could address it themselves. And the more that, you know, we did a, we did a, a round table a couple of years ago, we had 30 wellness directors on, I'm sorry. Yeah. 30 wellness directors were on that call. There were about 12 of them that said, Hey, for the first time ever, I'm now sharing information with the safety managers, our data and their data. More and more organizations are starting to look at this a little bit more holistically about how do the two relate to each other? And the more and more they can do that, the better. Small and mid-sized companies, a little bit harder, but I still think the information is there. You know, Get with people who have the ability to help you navigate through that. It's not very costly to start thinking about in that framework. And again, there's apps out there. There's other, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, online programs for self-help and stuff like that. And then there's organizations, you know, we have some programs that are around mental health awareness, mm -hmm. self-care, and, you know, I just put it up there for a second. You know, we, we have a portal where people can get self-care tips. They can do the deep tissue work that we do on site themselves. We teach them how to do it personal well-being tips, mental health awareness, not diagnostic awareness. So there's a lot of tools that you can give your employees to empower them to take ownership. And, and we find, as you know, the more you empower somebody, they take it and run with it. Oh, they really absolutely. do. Um, so with that being said, obviously we're able to um, help people on site. Again, with how things have kind of come where we've got more remote workers happening mm -hmm. this, as we're mm -hmm. moving forward to, you see a lot more remote going on. Sure. Um, EHS and human resources are starting to work together a little bit more to have the safety yeah. culture be created better in the workplace. Um, where do you see this going, this partnership over the next five years, specifically because there are so many jobs that are increasingly going remote and work from home or just in yeah. the office a few days a week? How is that? evolving? No, that's great. That's a great question. In fact, uh, even prior to COVID, I used to talk to people. Um, if you were bringing us on board, I would say, be careful how you do it. Don't make it another new program. The, what, here's the program of the month. Here's another new stretching program or conditioning program or warm-up program. Make it part of your whole organization. Uh, we we work with the company, I think you're aware of them, St. Coban, yeah. that they have in their benefits area something called Live Well. When we first started with them in 2016, by the time we started growing in 2018 to you know 13 sites, we actually went to them and said, you know, one of the things you ought to think about when you look at our programs, because we were able to show them data that stress levels decrease, sleep patterns improve, morale improves, all the things that come out of quote unquote benefit programs, not so much safety programs. Sure. We said, you know what? This should be put under your portal for LiveWell. That was their, their that was their kind of their name. So put it under a single portal so that one, people could see what they can accept to get access to. Maybe it is some training that we're doing. Maybe it's training that your benefits people are doing. The more you could put it under a single umbrella, and I honestly I've been kind of preaching this since 2018. Um but more and more it's happening. I think, I, you know, as I mentioned, we had those 30 wellness directors that 12 of them said, I'm sharing data with safety. They're starting to do that. And the more you can look at it holistically, the better. We, you know, we prescribe to uh, NIOSH's total worker health mentality, which is really 
the short answer to that is total worker health is nothing more than looking at your organization holistically, looking at age demographics, looking at cultural demographics. We have clients that have large Burmese type of uh, employee base or large people employee base from Poland or Vietnam and so forth. How do you look at that? And how do you, again, the message doesn't change, <clears throat> but how do you reach those people? Put these things together, look at it holistically, because if you don't, you're just putting in programs that you're going to get so-so results. If you want outstanding results or outrageous results, look at it under that framework of total worker health. We're actually a member, uh, Dorn's a member of the Society of Total Worker Health. And I, I urge everybody, it's $180 a year. I urge everybody to just join because there's so much information that you can get that you could think about as you're planning out into the future. How do we think differently? Before you just start putting programs in, think differently, develop the strategies, then layer in the programmings, whether it's us or somebody else. Well, there you go. Shout out to Total Worker Health. Um, so with everything that you've got that you have in your bucket of things that Doran can help provide, I want to touch upon uh, the safety tech solutions. We were coming into a very technological world. Um, yes. How do you see things being used in high risk fields? Um, yep. What kind of companies are we seeing these in? Where wearables, for example, um, to help yep. understand the current risk of ergonomic injuries? Which fields do you feel would be most benefited wearing wearable tech and any other kind of tech solutions? Yeah, from a technology standpoint, uh, first of all, good question. I spoke last year on technology at one of the conferences, but I wasn't speaking about the different types of tech. I was speaking about why do people put in pilot programs of something and then they never go beyond the pilot. So Pilot meaning like a test drive program. Yeah, or right. test driving Echoskeletons, we're test driving wearables or whatever we're test driving. You know, what what does that look like? But what ends up happening is they very few of them go beyond the pilot. But let's get to your question first, which is what areas? Anything that's high risk, anything that's repetitive motion, anything that has a large physical aspect to it, you can you can use technology like echoskeletons or other things. Two, if you want to do ergonomic assessments, there's wearable technology that really helps elevate when you're doing job task analysis and you want more detailed data versus, oh, it's just the shoulder, but where in the shoulder? What is the risk? How many times is that impact on the shoulder happening and twisting and turning and so forth so that when you do the corrections out of the ergonomic assessments, you have a lot of data, then you can go back and once you put the intervention in and the changes, whether it's an engineering control or an administrative control, then you can go back and use that same wearable technology to see that you've lessened the risk because you want to be able to show with data that you've lessened the risk. So I think in, you know, it could be people making mattresses. It could be, you know, people making roofing shingles. It could be utility workers out in the field, loan workers that have technology that, identify back at corporate that somebody fell. There's a lot of technology around that. The Fitbits that actually measure yeah. people's biorhythms, stuff like that. So there's a huge amount of technology and they every area, um, every company could probably take advantage of it. I, you know, even think about technology this way, office workers, 
You know, we have our healthy working program for desktop ergonomics. It's not a wearable. It's not a, you know, it's not measuring your biorhythms and all that. It's, it's really educational, self-assessment, identify the risk, and even gives the employee, hey, here's the five things you could do to correct that risk. Yeah. And then it gives the company, here's the five things that are going to cost money, whether it's a stand desk or whatever it might be, so that everybody is attuned as to, is, is Kevin riskier than Cheryl? Even though we both do the same job, we both sure. work at a desk eight hours a day. Why am I riskier? Could be, you know, how I take care of myself. It could be my equipment's different than yours and, and really helps the organization. So technology is there. It's an, an enabler. The key is when you look at technology, I had somebody call us um, six months ago. They wanted wearable tech. I spent 30 minutes really challenging them. Why? Because they saw it at a conference. Go to a conference. I know you go to a conference, but go to a conference 70% of the vendors are technology people now. So it's just coming at you left, center, and right. It's not unheard of anymore. It's just what's your yeah. angle on yeah. it, right? So, yeah. So before you, so the question I had for them is, what are you trying to accomplish? What are you seeing as your risk? Well, they had seen something at a conference and they thought it was cool and they wanted to try it. That's why most of the program, most technology pilots fail because you're playing with something you're not really understanding the, the root issue you're trying to address. You're not doing it in a planned way. You're not communicating. You're not getting an advocate from senior manager, from senior management that's going to carry the messaging back to everybody in the organization that, hey, we're testing this in the work cell three, and we're going to tell you what the results are to get people excited about it. So, you know, that's why I think one, it can fit almost anywhere, but two, do it the right way. Who handles the data that's given once you have someone with a wearable sure. or some sort of technological? Is the data just like raw data that's given to the companies or is it somehow reported so it's manageable to yep. see like where you're seeing flags? Yep. Yeah, when, it, when, when this type of stuff like wearables first came out, it was raw data. So, okay. you know, you had to have the PhD to interpret it, right? Now what happens is the programming is like the programs we, we use, uh, the L6 for both the motion capture and the wearables, what comes out of it is a report that gets very detailed on body parts, the risk factor, and what can uh, potentially be done intervention-wise to reduce that risk factor. We even have an assessment tool that um, you know one of our colleagues, Katie, utilized that was a what if, where they would look at, the, they would assess some movements, identify the risk, and the system allowed them to say, well, if I correct this risk, if I correct this issue, how much does the risk go down? If I correct this one, how much does it go down? She was able to show the client, hey, you have a risk of 63, which in the risk it was very high. We can lower it to 35 by doing these three interventions. So having this what if tool is actually pretty cool as well, because it's not just, okay, here's the risk. We're going to do certain things and hopefully the risk went down. This particular tool showed you where it should go down to, which then you're also holding your companies like us accountable to getting the results from that or your ergonomist internally getting the results. So, you know, the reality of it is data is now coming out in readable format because it, before you'd throw a file over to the safety manager or even the head of ergonomics who didn't have a PhD in interpreting the data. Now there's so many apps that you can attach to the wearables and everything that the data is interpreted 
It tells you what where the risk is. It tells you what you it actually gives you the interventions that you can do and what those results of those interventions should come back. Then you go back and test it six months later, put the inter, you know, you put the interventions in, go back and test. You should see all those changes. It's come a long way and and it's really it's actually kind of neat. So Kevin, I have one last question for you. What do you feel is the future of EHS? Thanks, Cheryl. Well, I'm gonna share my screen again to see. Um, let me know if you could see my screen. Yes, I can. Great. So future of EHS, let me talk, it's, it's a great topic because I talk about this about 10 times a year and people are real, it's really resonating with people. So if you think about EHS five years ago, this is what the pie looked like. This is what people's lives looked like. It was safety, injury prevention, a little bit of environmental, industrial hygienists, and a little bit of employee health. That was really the life of people. Uh, and it was an important life. It was keeping people safe, keeping people from being injured. Today, and we've talked a lot about this today, I, this is what I believe is the future as we sit today. And we know that in two years, this, this pie chart could look something different. But if you think about what's going on in the world, we got, you know, we just got through COVID. And whether it's fully behind us or it's behind us, you know, whatever your view is, it's behind us. What I tell people is don't put that plan that people have spent a lot of energy developing to ensure their employee was did not get sick. Don't put it on the shelf and let it collect dust. Pull it out once a year. It's like a disaster recovery plan. Pull it out once a year, go through it, update it, change it, run through, practice the scenarios and what you would do if another disease, infectious disease happened. Because at the end of the day, whether it's tomorrow, next year, five years from now, there will be something else that comes our way. You know, we put out an ebook on uh, preparation when COVID hit. And we worked on it with 15 global safety directors and looked at National Safety Council, OSHA, whole number of pieces. We're actually updating it to be more generic for infectious diseases. So people should take a look at that and use it as a guide. Two, you got ergonomic risk. Three, we talked about the impacts of mental health and wellness. Again, we don't need PhDs out there, but what we need is people who are aware, mental health awareness, wellness, and look at different apps in different ways. And then four, we talked a little bit about safety and all the technology. You go to a conference, 70% of the vendors are safe, are technology vendors. So there's a lot coming at people right now. And so how do you navigate that? Large companies, I tell people, hey, if you have an opening for a safety person in your department or in one of your sites, try to find somebody who has a little bit more knowledge in one of these areas that maybe you have today. So maybe they're, a tech, they're going to be your technology subject matter expert. Maybe they're going to be your wellness SME. Maybe they're going to, because they really were in the trenches on the infectious disease, maybe they're going to own refreshing and updating and running scenarios. For companies that are smaller, mid-sized, that maybe have a safety department of one, safety department of two, you can't always, you don't always have the, this expertise in-house. Rely on people like us or other consulting type firms that can really help you navigate through this stuff because there's a lot there to digest. There's a lot to think about. And really, I think what people have to do is they take this and ergonomic assessments comes into it as you develop your five-year plan or your five-year strategy or your three-year strategy for ergonomics. It really should be more of a three-year, five-year safety and overall um, safety, health, and wellness plan 
that you leverage your benefits people, you leverage outside resources, leverage the expertise you have, and really develop something that you can, over time, look at all these pieces. This is a lot for people to digest. It's a lot for people to take in, a lot for people to actually manage on a day-to-day -day basis. But it is where people are sitting today. I, I presented this at a conference. I think you were with me. And somebody in the audience said, man, this was the, the, the most important slide in the entire conference. Mm -hmm. They thought this. And they thought it because that's what they were living. Now, they happen to be in a hospital system. So it was, you know, a lot of this was definitely there for them. But, you know, that person identified this is what people need to be thinking about. So that's that's what I see as the future today. Ask me again in a year, year and a half, it's probably going to be something different. Sure. I mean, your first slide showed three pieces of what's been going on then. We moved up to five. I mean, just preparedness and having good protocols. This might have six or seven pie pieces to it, you know, a year from now. Who knows? Oh, so absolutely. being ready sounds like and just being prepared is, is the way to go. Yep. All righty. Well, I'm going to conclude this session. Thank you so much, Kevin, for making the time and being my very, very first podcast. I appreciate it. Hey, glad, all right. glad to do it. Great. Uh, so thank you all for joining us today in Dorn's Injury Prevention Academy. And tune in next time to learn more about the exciting and innovative steps and programs taking place in today's world of safety.